Hi, my name is Sue Ditta, and this is the Electric City Culture Cast. This week on the Electric City Culture Cast, we're talking to theater artist Anne White, and this is part of our series exploring professional artists in Peterborough, their work, their experience here in town, and what makes Peterborough a unique place to practice your craft. Welcome to the studio, Anne. Thanks for having me. Um, And you're relatively new to Peterborough um, and new to the theatre scene here, but I have a feeling that you've actually studied theatre. A lot of people in Peterborough are self-taught, but I think you're part of a new generation that's had an opportunity to study theatre. Can you tell us a little bit about that work and that study? Sure, yeah. Um, I think that... Uh, if you were to look at my resume, you would probably see uh, first off that I've done theater studies, um, which was part of my um, undergrad, my BA that I did at Dalhousie University. That was a very text-focused degree, and so it was a lot of reading plays, responding to them through essays. There was a bit of a focus on directing and dramaturgy, and we did that in a kind of laboratory format. Um, So that's part of that foundation. Um, I would say what has been more influential to me is the training that I've um, been able to get since then. And that's come through uh, companies like um, Zupa Theatre, which is based in Halifax. And I did a two week um, devising workshop with them. And that really informed my practice as a devised theatre artist. And then since then, I've also had the opportunity to do some uh, shorter but equally influential uh, workshops with Toronto-based artists mostly who are also working within devised theatre traditions, physical theatre traditions, a lot of them informed by Lecoq or Gallier. Um, So I would say combined those things make up my education. So you were at King's College at at Dalhousie and I noticed that your degree was in history and theatre, which is really interesting. I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit about what devised theatre is and how it's connected to physical theatre. Sure, I'll try. And this might be in terms of how I practice it. I don't know if I can speak for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, devising is really just about um, looking at uh, the sources that we use to create stories as not just lying within a pre-written text. I have nothing against written theater texts. I have nothing against a play. I love Shakespeare. I, you know, I'm definitely steeped in that tradition of the canon of theater, uh, both internationally and in Canada. Um, but for me, most of the time when I make work, I'm interested in bringing together a variety of sources, and some of those might be written texts or things that are already written, Um, but a lot of the work I make would come out of physical improvisations, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, I'm often much more interested in the physicality of a character before I begin to write what they say. Um, So that's an example of maybe how physical theater and devised theater come together for me. Um, And yes, a a, a source in terms of making a show could also extend to a song or an academic text um, or a family story. And so, or film, actually film is another huge one. I've been taking a lot of inspiration from, um, I just love it as a visual medium. And I think it's really interesting the way that it speaks to theater um, and also is, you know, so alien to theater. And I like kind of finding those tensions. Um, So yeah, those are some examples of uh, building blocks I use to make a new show 
And uh, often I try to put my body at the center of that work as much as possible. I think you did a great job explaining that uh, and, and really, really important because I've had the wonderful opportunity to see several of your pieces. It's really clear to me that, that the physicality piece is so important and the, it's, it's way beyond improv. It, it's a really kind of highly developed, um, reminds me a bit of contact dance, actually, how your pieces are choreographed um, in a certain way. We interviewed Rob Fortan a couple of weeks ago, and like Rob, you play more than one role, though, in your theatre practice. You write, you direct, you act. Um, can you talk to our listeners a little bit about how you take up those different roles and where your experience comes from and how that practice grows when you're doing so many different things? Yeah, so I would say right now at least I'm most interested in honing my abilities as a performer and as a director of work Mm -hmm. and then I think of creation as sort of coming out of both of those things Mm -hmm. Um, and in that sense I feel like a writer as well but again it might be writing with my body or it might be writing you know textually. Um, I actually didn't really do much performing before I came to Peterborough. Interesting. Which is funny. Okay. Uh, I didn't think of myself as much of a performer before that, but I think through a combination of um, wanting to make work more consistently and not always having the resources, for example, to pay other people to be in shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, I think just because to me, Peterborough is a very like, receptive and welcoming community to a young artist who's still learning um I don't know I just sort of stepped into that role and now I'm quite enjoying it and then I guess at the same time too I am eventually looking at going away to school uh to train um hopefully at the Lecoq school in Paris Mm -hmm. and that would be again not exclusively a performance focused um uh form of study but it would you know really require me to be in that role a lot and so I thought okay well if I'm thinking of that as my trajectory I might as well also be getting as much performance exposure and experience as possible as you can yeah but I still feel like a novice with that and I still when I make a show I still often am thinking of myself more as a creator and a director Mm -hmm. even though I am actually like executing it I know that sounds really strange but I'm not like I'm not a, an actor that would be going out to like auditions for other things and saying please hire I understand me. I think that's a great distinction though to make to make for the audience the first work of yours I saw I think was a project of the Ring O Rosie collective at the house on Aberdeen and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where the Ring O Rosie collective came from and explain that first project because it was really unique and really distinctive form of theater practice. Hmm, yeah. So Ringo Rosie is a collective of artists that I sometimes work with. We're sort of working together but kind of on hiatus right now because one of our members is away pursuing her own um, master's degree. Uh, it's made of myself, the collective is myself, uh, a woman named Miranda Jones and a woman named Lillian Ross Millard. Miranda's based in Montreal, Lily's based in Toronto, and I'm based here in Peterborough. When we did, uh, oh, 
in terms of how we came together, we all studied theater studies. So mm-hmm. that was that academic element of our, our degrees at Dalhousie. At Dalhousie. Right. And then we also share a training in that devised and physical theater tradition that I mentioned. And we came together uh, for some shows in Halifax, but more formally, I would say we reformed when we came back to Ontario. We were all young, looking to make work, you know, had very little on our resumes. And we were all really uh, enamored with site-specific theater, which Mm -hmm. is what that show in the house was. And so what ended up happening is through some connections of mine in Peterborough, we were able to secure access to a home uh, in uh, the um, kind of north end of Peterborough. And it was a big old home with lots of rooms and the residents were in the process of moving out. And so our dream came true and we had access to this massive empty house essentially. And uh, at the same time, we happened to be working on uh, developing a show that was based around memories of our grandmothers and our grandmothers' homes. And so we thought, oh, this is just the golden opportunity for us to come together, make this show. Perfect platform. It was incredible. Yeah, it was really, I mean, that's like one of those things that happens sometimes when you work in the arts. Mm -hmm. Things just come together and you think, oh my gosh, I would never normally have this opportunity. And it was great because we didn't know anything about Peterborough audiences. Uh, (laughs) And we were really like just moved by all of these people who immediately came out to the show. Like that's great. It was a very interactive piece. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that gets really nervous in those interactive pieces. And um, you pulled it off so incredibly well and with such finesse. Um, How many times did you put that play on? It was quite a few, have wasn't to it? reach back. Yeah, I think it was. I think we had to add a few performances at the end because a lot of people were coming, and it was a relatively small cap on the audience because the rooms were kind of small uh, for a larger audience. I think it was about five shows, six shows maybe. So you did it five or six times, and the audience moved through the different rooms in the house, and there was a different scenario in in each of the rooms, and. It, the particularly the language of the play was incredibly lyrical and poetic it was was just really astonishing and then I guess the thing that intrigued me most about your practice was the next time I saw you perform was in a piece at art space that did include film and did riff off some of the work of the very famous Canadian animator Norman McLaren and I'm trying to remember, it was uh, Neighbours? Yeah. Neighbours. So tell us a bit about the piece at Art Space, Peterborough's Artist Run Centre. How did that come to be and why were you doing it in an art gallery? Yeah. Yeah, it must have been a big leap from that house show to seeing us in that piece. Um, that one came out of a, a piece that my collaborator Miranda began to workshop in that laboratory setting for directing that I mentioned in our undergrad she was really interested in the source and she was just really interested in uh, the challenge of trying to respond to that film which is live action but animated in a stop motion style and so you can uh, Norman McLaren gets these live action characters to do very like fantastical and kind of impossible physically impossible things with their bodies And so we were thinking about ways that we could try to represent that in our own bodies. And that was just like a fun challenge kind of at the beginning. And then gradually, I would say that project, because it was 
done in the context of the precarious, precarious festival, festival. yeah right. um that gen- like gradually morphed into a bigger kind of aesthetic love letter to norman mclaren uh, but also maybe a bit like poking a bit of fun at just the um the pretension potentially of that legacy of those films but also how they're quite obscure and so it felt fun to do it in the back room of art space which is quite small and you have to go through this funny little corridor and there's like a library of books there and so yeah it was funny that we were taking up this space that has a lot of connotations of um prestige the white cube gallery does but then we were kind of off in the back and so in the, in what used to be called the mud room yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and so that was maybe yeah we were kind of playing around with some expectations you have coming into the gallery and then uh it was also just fun like the performance itself because it's in that gallery space began to take on more of a maybe more of an installation feel like it was more of a, about mm-hmm. repetition and it started to feel especially for us because we did it over and over again kind of cyclically a bit like a, a marathon of, yeah. But you created a a, a, a really interesting theatrical um, feeling within the space just by curtaining it off slightly, having people wait outside. Um, you really played with time incredibly well in that piece. We got to see snippets of the film. And the Precarious Festival, for those folks in the listening audience who don't know, is a alternating year festival organized by Kate Story and Ryan Kerr. And the whole theme of the festival is the precarious conditions under which artists have to make work. And the pieces and the panel discussions and the symposia and the workshops are all focused in some kind of way around how those extreme conditions influence artwork so one of the things i i loved about that piece i forget the title i'm so sorry Anne. what was the title we just called it neighbors neighbors after the film. Okay. yeah yeah is that that era at the film board was in many ways a very luxurious era where filmmakers were on salary and people with the status of norman mclaren got to make whatever kind of films they want wanted to with with great resource but it's also a really important film in terms of exploring human relations and terms of exploring the relations between nations um it's it's a a wonderful film in and of itself and you also made interventions in the gallery space you made some markings on the walls and then in the very back you created a, a minimalist set um how was that piece funded uh, it was funded by the Precarious Festival um, and our own donations of time. Okay, and ArtSpace provided the... And ArtSpace, the uh, space. Yeah, provided the in-kind. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that is typically what will happen with our work, going back to the, the Precarious theme. Um, Kate asked what we wanted to do. We said, well, this is one project that we've been working on, so we could mount it sort of relatively quickly for the, the festival and then we said would the space be available to us and yeah so it was a great peterborough collaboration it was it was yeah john lockyer was really great uh he was really generous with us um gave us access also to some technological components that we needed and uh yeah it was yeah again like a moving experience um being a young artist and uh, having a lot of different people bend over backwards to make your work happen it's nice 
So the, the other piece I was wondering if you could talk a bit about, which I think was not a ring around, well, I don't think anyway, Ringo Rosie uh, collective production, but it was a piece commissioned for Arts Week 2018. And it was um, part of a project curated by Hannah Keating, who was the artistic producer of Arts Week this year. It was called Between the Lines. Your piece was called Lookout. And it took place in September at Confederation Park, right across the road from City Hall. It was a piece that just knocked my socks off. It, it was totally brilliant. That's a, a space um, that is, is kind of famous on the one hand because of the gorgeous Allward sculpture there, um, commemorating um, the losses of the First World War. And at the same time, kind of an ignored space in the sense that a lot goes on there. Um, uh, Food Not Bombs meets there regularly um, and serves meals and, and provides a context for discourse about poverty and food security in our city. But other things go on there as well. And I wondered if you could um, talk a little bit about the idea for Lookout and the development and execution of that piece for Arts Week. Yeah, sure. That was a really challenging uh, but rewarding piece for, for me to do. I think it would be the first piece where I was really doing everything, ex with the exception of maybe some technical help, um, but I really did everything and performed it completely on my own in a relatively exposed way. And so that felt, again, uh, a little bit scary, but also really great. Uh, that piece partly came out of a long-standing interest that I've had and I've explored this interest mostly academically in the past mm -hmm. in uh, public spaces that aim to memorialize something and uh, I'm very interested in uh, without going into too much detail really interested in the idea of monuments and counter monuments and these are these sites the particularly famous ones are in Germany uh, where artists have been commissioned to find ways to commemorate uh, things like uh, the Holocaust um, using sometimes the language of monuments but inverting them or doing something that is kind of unexpected in those spaces and um, so I was kind of interested in that. I was, I'm always interested in just like public commemoration and what that means mm -hmm. and I'm always interested in just public spaces and how they, the architecture uh, or the way that they're built is imbued with a certain kind of meaning and a certain kind of expectation. And then often what happens, as uh, you were saying, in the case of Confederation Square, people come in and it gets messy and the lines get kind of blurred and uh, spaces are used in ways that sometimes are sanctioned, sometimes not. Uh, and if you hang out around long enough in them, you'll see some things that are like quite unexpected um so yeah that was those were some of the the, the uh, ideas that informed that piece i think um if i can sorry to interrupt you yeah. but i just i think hannah uh, keating the curator her project was called between the lines so one of the things she was exploring was what happens when you take up either spaces that are taken for granted or hidden or are going through a transition and put artwork there what, what happens? How can you reflect on the changing nature of certain public spaces and what transitions go on in those spaces? And I, I think Lookout really touched on that beautifully. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you talked about a very particular incident that happened there in that piece. Yeah, I was, uh, at one of the incidences I addressed um, was the, um, it was a rally that happened last autumn. It was actually almost a year anniversary uh, of that um, event. It happened last autumn and it was a response to the city uh, giving a permit to a group that um, many people felt were uh, led by a neo-Nazi. Um, some people also used the language of like white supremacists. Um, either And then the people who were kind of organizing that uh, rally called it an, an anti-immigration, an anti-Trudeau rally. So anyway, the terminology, you can pick what you want. Um, but uh, either way, there was a lot of concern that, that one of the figures associated with this group was a neo-Nazi and had very clearly um, shown that uh, through his uh, profiles on social media and things like that. And so uh, this community, you know, the community basically mobilized and decided to go and occupy Confederation Square, which is the place where this um, anti-immigration uh, demonstration was supposed to happen. And uh, in the end, maybe one or two people from this like anti-immigration side showed up, um, but the space was just full of uh, full of people. Um, and there were like a few scuffles and there was lots of drumming and there's lots of shouting. And um, there was just this real sense that everyone was engaged and what was at stake was like holding on to this space. And so I think in a really real way, like the idea of the commons was kind of on mm-hmm. display in that moment. And that issue. Yeah. And that issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like an exciting thing. And then I was able to like revisit that a little bit and dramatize it somewhat in the lookout piece um and there were issues about who got to stand up on the stairs close to the all word sculpture and who didn't and yeah i just thought the play brought out in a, in a really deeply profound way the significance of those public spaces and how quickly meaning is poured into them and then how it's molded and shifted and um your character, it's a one-woman piece, and your character in the piece has a pair of binoculars, and the piece begins by her scurrying around the site with the binoculars to see what she can see on that particular public site. And then you bring the historical aspect in and weave them all together. Were you happy with that piece? I was, yeah. Um... It's a, a tricky piece to look back on because even though I did have it filmed, it's one of those pieces that is hard to translate onto film. And so there were moments where it's like, oh, is this as strong as I thought it was when I was doing it? Um, but overall, I was, yeah, I was really happy with it. And I was just happy with the range of people who came to see it. I was surprised by how many people came because it was like in the middle of the day on a weekday. I think three different weekdays and um yeah there were just some moments of people responding to it there was a moment in the piece where so I've just gone and asked everybody to venerate this like ridiculous little plaque that's like off to the side in the park that is marking like the 2012 
Diamond Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth or something like that. Like it's this tiny little plaque that somebody, you know, some group has put there. And so it's, it's in the ground. You yeah, can hardly yeah, see it. Yeah, you can yeah. hardly see it, but it's for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. And so I've just done this kind of ridiculous like physical veneration where I kind of like go, um, you know, prostrate on the ground and uh, it's kind of this like funny moment. And then I'm bringing people back toward the center of the square, which is this beautiful monument. And um, then suddenly I have this moment where like I take the binoculars off because they've been on my face the entire time like glasses, which was a very like disorienting experience (laughs) for me as a performer. Hopefully it was kind of silly and a bit like alienating for the audience. But I take them off and I say the name of Colton Bushi. Uh, who um, is a young First Nations man um, who was on the news a lot over the last couple of years because he was killed by uh, a farmer whose land um, he had kind of driven onto. And anyway, it was a an instance where, um, you know, there was this, this killing, uh, a lot of people call it a murder, that happened that was really painful um, for certainly his family and his community, but I think it really radiated out across Canada. And a great example of the way that Confederation Square is used is that um, in the wake of, I believe, when the jury, the all-white jury, acquitted the farmer who had killed Colton Bushy, um, there was a candlelight vigil held in that space. And yeah, I don't know, just the way that that space was totally transformed by candles and drumming and people like saying the name of this person who was not even part of Peterborough's community, but so importantly kind of infused um, this space for a night. And I don't know, it's like fun to be able to recall those things. Well, it, I think it was really, really important. It, it, it allowed us to see how valuable those spaces are. They're often associated with very conventional or conservative values, but in Peterborough, they've become the site of resistance and alternatives and um, mourn, mourning and, and really, really important things. And I think it's we're really fortunate to have you here and to have you opening up our eyes to what goes on in those spaces. I know we have to wrap up soon. Um, and yes. you've had an opportunity to do theatre in Halifax, in Toronto, and now in Peterborough. Um, we're hoping you'll stay in Peterborough for, for as long as possibly imaginable. Um, what makes making theatre in Peterborough different? What makes it possible? And what does this city offer a young um, theatre artist? going to make the pitch. Um, yeah. For me, as a young artist, I always say Peterborough is a great place to be making new work. Um, I would say that Peterborough, and this is like a really interesting, and to me, like a sign of a very healthy and also professional art scene, at least in theater, there's a real emphasis on developing work and letting work be in development for a long time. And often the kinds of things that I perform are things that I know are in development and the people watching them know they're in development. And I just think that that's really exciting um, that that you have like these platforms to, to do that and to continue to work on things. And as a result, when I do eventually put things on, I often feel like they've really been in development for a long time and that's like a nice feeling. Um, I also just feel that 
um, the older artists here, and here I'll mention people like um, Kate and Ryan at, at the Theater on King, um, Bill Kimball and Victoria over at um, Public Energy, you guys at EC3. There's just this sense that if you want to do something, people will like step up and support you immediately. And I mean, that just doesn't happen as a young artist to, to the same extent in Toronto. And there just wasn't a sense of those kinds of um, organizations being able to work together to support you in Halifax in the same way I found mm-hmm. personally. And so, and then there's also just a lot of, uh, like you're saying, these spaces that are underused, um, underacknowledged, in transition. Peterborough is a space, or as a space, as a city is in transition, I feel like. And so, yeah, there's just this real, like, desire I see in artists here to speak to that, to fill that void somehow. And so, yeah, even though I'm from away, I'm excited by that as well. Well, we're delighted that you came. We hope you stay, and we're really looking forward to more work by you and to Ringo Rosie Collective, from Ringo Rosie Collective. Thanks for being with us in the studio, and good luck with what's coming next. Thanks so much, Sue. Bye. Hi, my name is Eva Fisher. I'm the program coordinator with the Electric City Culture Council, and I'm the podcast producer of the Electric City Culture Cast. So on behalf of EC3, I'd like to give a thank you to our funders, the City of Peterborough, the Ontario Trillium Foundation, the Ontario Arts Council, the Department of Canadian Heritage, the Peterborough Foundation, and the Community Foundation of Greater Peterborough. I'd also like to wish you all a very happy holiday, however you celebrate it, from us at EC3.